What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to another crossover edition of the Brooklyn Buzz and the Clear Out Podcast. I'm Nick Fay. With me as always, Jack Manuel and the host of the Clear Out, Matt Brooks. Guys, how we doing? I'm excited. I got energy. Look, you heard, if you listen to, and which you should have, by the way, uh, listen to the last episode of our crossover, sound a little down, okay? <laughs> and And the whole five minutes have elapsed since that podcast and this one, I'm a new man, all right? Got my LaCroix next to me, which is incredibly on brand for me to be living in Brooklyn, drinking LaCroix. Um, and I'm, I'm ready. I'm so ready to talk about this next season. I'm incredibly excited. I just love talking about basketball with smart guys. I've said that before in our DMs, whether it's Matt, whether it's Lucas, whether it's Justin, whoever it is. It's just fun to talk hoops and I always learn something. And to actually dissect this team from a, a basketball standpoint and, and where they are, going forward um it's 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 a massive season the biggest season in brooklyn new jersey history and this is going to be probably the biggest season preview that we've ever done as well as the buzz at at the buzz slash clear out it's the first season preview matt's ever done as the clear out but he's not he's been on a lot of our season previews on the buzz last year's season preview i checked had to had to keep the vibes going there's going to be a lot of blue wire crossovers with the the best two nets podcasts out there and I just got to say, it's happy to see Matt smiling again. He mentioned he did not look too happy on the last show. He's back to life. I love to see it. Even Jack's a little bit happy over there. Talking about basketball just brings out the best of everyone. Obviously, this Kyrie saga has really dragged on. We'll talk about that a little bit today, but mostly just a season preview. And as I mentioned before, you can find the buzz to clear out on all streaming platforms. But guys, let's kick this season preview off. Like Jack said, this is the most important season in Brooklyn Nets history. Obviously, there's a ton of pressure, and we just got recent news that Kyrie Irving will not be playing for the team for the foreseeable future. But we're not going to really talk about that. We're going to talk about the other top storylines for this team. Matt, hit me with something that comes to mind. Uh, Well, the immediate one that is uh, a byproduct of this Kyrie news is how, for me, what I'm watching really early is how do the Nets supplement the loss of Kyrie Irving, not just from a standpoint of scoring, um, playing off ball, but actually handling it. Because mm-hmm. when you, you know, you can sit there, you can say, well, uh, the backup point guard is Patty Mills. For me personally, I, Patty Mills is going to be dynamic with this team. Um, he hasn't shot it great in preseason, but it's preseason. Who cares? Um but I, you see kind of the utilization for him. You know, when they run a transition possession, he's going to get deep corner. He's going to space the floor. He's going to just generally be a nightmare for opposing teams to deal with as he you know moves around off ball. Using him on ball and, and having him run 20 pick and rolls, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's the best utilization. So for me, I'm really, really curious about how they make up for the loss of somebody like Kyrie Irving who can run the offense in a pinch. Yeah, I think the reverberation effects of Kyrie Irving's absence for however long it is pertains to, to so much. Are they the Nets still the favorites? I think that's the biggest question that so many people are talking about from ESPN down to Joe Schmo on, on Twitter. And and I think that that's a, an interesting discussion to have without Kyrie Irving. They probably still are, to be honest, or at least 
one B, one C with, with the Lakers uh, and the Bucks, and you know, the, uh, does it in, uh, increase the likelihood? Of course, we're starting with Cam Thomas. Does it increase his Rookie of the Year odds? That's obviously the number one storyline for me. But uh, at, at the same time, does it mean that the Nets get John Wall in a buyout? That's what I've heard floating around the ether as well. Does it mean that David Duke Jr. is more likely to be signed to a two-way contract? Um, if the, if it means that, then I'm, I, I think the absence might be worth it because we're all David Duke Jr. David Duke Jr. stands here on the clear and the Brooklyn Buzz and at Blue Wire in general. So there's a lot of reverberation effects to it, Nick. And I think that what Matt sort of touched on in terms of the rotation and just how it affects the on-court product is probably not being discussed enough. But that's what the season preview is for. Yeah, I mean, both great storylines to start. And I think, like you said, even just the simple thing of the rotation, the minute balance Mm -hmm. now, the load management for different guys, and also, like, how does Steve Nash react to this? Obviously, he coached fine last year without Kyrie for different games, and having James Harden and Kevin Durant is still a luxury for any coach in the NBA. But like Matt said, I think Kyrie had over a 30% usage rate on this team last year. So he's just doing a lot of different things out there. He has the ball in his hands a lot. I guess touching on that storyline first, what do you think the answer to that question is? Is that just simply, you know, the entire squad picking things up? Is that Cam Thomas being involved more? Like you mentioned, I think Patty Mills is like they envisioned him kind of more as that off ball complimentary guy rather than like that natural creator for the team. I think they invert the offense. So what I mean by that is if you think about the Nets best decision makers, you're going to probably go some I mean, Harden number one, and then you can go either one of KD or Kyrie. I'd probably go KD, I think, yeah. before I go Kyrie. And then after that, it's like, I think your best decision makers are maybe your bigs. So you're thinking Paul Millsap, who you saw in that Lakers game, he didn't look great in the Sixers game, but the Lakers game you kind of saw because they had no one to run the offense. It was like, yep. we can either have Javon Carter run pick and roll and he just has no juice downhill. Like, I, he looks great off ball, but r- running pick and roll is not a good way to use Javon Carter. Or we can have Bruce Brown run pick and roll, which is also kind of pretty ineffective. <laughs> um, but, but Or you can, you know, kind of run the offense through Millsap. I think you can do the same thing with Blake Griffin just because those guys are so good at reading the floor, remaining calm. And I think what a lot of that entails is running a lot of handoffs, yeah. running sets like Chicago, which – is really just a pin down screen, which the Nets already run a ton of because they have Kevin Durant on the roster. Um, but running a set where that combines a pin down screen with a dribble handoff, that's another thing they can run. So I think you're going to see an offense that isn't so pick and roll heavy um, as it was last year, and maybe see a little more handoff utilization. Just plays where you're you're letting the big guys kind of read the floor and make decisions from there. Yeah, I think Blake is a, a perfect example of that as well. And, and obviously, it was why he was signed to the team for to be that version of himself. And he's always been a, a really good decision maker, a really good connector, as the 538 piece from Jared Dubin said, which I thought was a, a really good piece from the Nets front court rotation. And the fact that they Nets do have so many guys that can do that. Paddy Mills makes good decisions. He's a good passer. Cam Thomas is shown some passing glimpses. I know that he's his best... His best offense is, you know, individual and isolation offense, but he still made some good decisions. Bruce Brown can handle the ball a little bit. Um, I just think that there is there are a few guys on this roster that can actually do that. Joe Harris has improved in, in that regard, especially, you know, on the drive. Obviously, he has his blunders here and there. So I think that what we've seen in the preseason might be a glimpse of it. You know, obviously, you don't take away a heat, but the ball movement has been 
somewhat surprising. You know, you see that ball fizz around, you see the penetration, the kickouts, uh, and Blake's been a part, of the, especially with the, the sort of starting five that we likely predict and we'll get to in a little bit. The ball movement has been, you know, old school Senan, not old school, but like 2010s San Antonio Spurs-esque. It's not really like Matt, Matt was alluding to, a heap of sort of simplicity with the pick and roll action and KD Kyrie, Kyrie, James Harden, whoever else you want to you want to throw in there. So I think that the Nets are good enough, are deep enough, are smart enough, are well coached enough that they'll be able to adapt. And even if Kyrie Irving does return, they'll be able to make a seamless transition as well. I think that there's just enough. I think the depth is still there. And I think that that's a good thing. And, and that is a massive tick and, and kudos to Sean Marks for the offseason that he did have. Yeah, I really like the DHO point because, like you said, Matt, they have these guys that feel comfortable with the ball that are willing to make plays up there. And also they can fake the dribble handoff and just go inside because they're they're savvy vets. And they also have players that can utilize that, be it a Joe Harris, be it Patty Mills, be it Kevin Durant, just different guys that are putting a lot of pressure on the defense running these dribble handoffs. So that's a really good point. And I think just having a lot of, you know, high-functioning veterans that have a lot of experience, a lot of basketball IQ, like there will be times where they should be able to find simple offense or just find mismatches here and there, whatever it might be. And I also think, like, even a guy like Lamarcus Aldridge coming off the bench, you know, giving you a little bit of a post presence, he gets a mismatch. That's, like, an easy two for him. Intrigued to see what Cam Thomas can do. I think in dribble handoffs could be an easy way to utilize him, but it's yet to be seen if he's going to get in the rotation if he can build up Steve Nash's trust. I know I brought it up yesterday. It was just preseason, but looking off Kevin Durant and pulling up from three early in the shot clock is just something that, you know, might not necessarily, you know, get you in the good graces of Steve Nash early He's on. He's so great, man. <laughs> I love him. So I love him great. so much. I, it's so, I, I don't know how you're not a, a Cam Thomas guy. I'm not saying you have to be like, you have to say he's a, a 10-time All-Star, but he's just he's just a joy, man. He's like, fun. what an absolute joy to have during, you know, what's been a very uh, rocky couple of weeks. Um, I, I also, and I, I'm sorry to cut you off, Jack. I, I like that you mentioned LaMarcus, because I think that using his post-gravity is another really good thing that the Nets should tap into. Yeah. They ran a lot of split cuts last year. Um, and it was mostly for KD when KD posted up and split cuts are really just two guys coming together to usually guys that could shoot and, and breaking apart and, 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 you know, I guess going in different directions, the Warriors that a lot with Steph and clay, um, that's a great thing that you can do with somebody like, let's say Cam Thomas and Patty Mills, which yep. I know Jack's going <laughs> to love <laughs> the idea of that. That's something you can do, and that's another thing so that you're not just being this team that runs dribble handoffs until, you know, the basketball pops or whatever. Yep. Like, it gives you a little bit of differentiation. I, I think that's a cool thing that you can do. It'll be a fun offense to watch, very different from last year. Yeah, More I mean, uh, and, no, sorry to cut you off, Jack, and just harder ways to defend. But, Jack, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I said on, I think, I can't remember if it was the last recap or the recap before that. I just, I'm a fan of in and out action. I just like mm-hmm. to see yeah. how that ball works and just the spaces and angles that are created from it. And, you know, Paul Millsap can do a, a little bit in the post. You know, Blake can do a little bit in the post. All of our bigs, except for basically Clax, who's a much better pick and roll player and, and obviously more defensively minded. So I, I guess in saying that, do you guys think that the Nets will still be you know, maybe not the, the best offense of all time, but do you still think they'll be, a, at the very least, a top three, top five offense? Yes. 
Yeah, they have Katie <laughs> and Harden. <laughs> I think uh, even if you have James Harden alone with like this array of role players, he might give you a really good offense too, just given what we've seen him do in Houston. And now he has, you know, seven, Kevin Durant, like, uh, and Steve Nash. I think Steve Nash deserves a little bit credit too, just being such a creative basketball mind. I think maybe he's going to unlock more of that in year two. You know, year one, you're a little nervous. You're probably relying on Mike D'Antoni and some of your other assistant coaches. I think we'll probably see more of Steve Nash's fingerprints on this team, which I'm kind of excited to see, see because obviously on the court, he was such an amazing player to watch every single night. Yeah, and I'll, I think in piggybacking off that, thank you, Matt Brooks, for – I love the PBP website. Um, but with Kevin Durant and uh, James Harden on the floor and Kyrie Irving off, they had an 119.1 offensive rating. Their offensive rating last year was, I think, 118.3, best of all time, even though seven of the eight best offenses of all time were last year as well. <laughs> but you, you just look at you look at the little things. You look at what we've seen already in the preseason. Um, one thing I did really like, and I mentioned this in the last part, and I want to repeat it, the fact that James Harden is going to be leading this thing, and he's talking to, he, you know, he's talking to Paul Millsap, where do you like the ball? Like, what are your tendencies? Um, the fact that if we were talking about you know a James Harden extended absence like we were with Kyrie Irving, I'd be more filled with dread uh, about the chances of this team. But James Harden is just so historically, amazingly good by himself, you know, and, and has this Kevin Durant uh, in, in that respect too. I, I think the Nets are going to be in, in a really good spot offensively, um, and I'm excited. I, I, I'm, I'm as intrigued as you guys are in in that respect in terms of maybe there's a greater diversity to to this offense. It's it's hard to say that for what was again the best offense ever, but crazy things have happened. Yeah. I mean, I think also even just looking at it from a perspective, and this isn't to throw shade at Kyrie Irving, but the combination of James Harden and Kevin Durant is just better. You know what I mean? Like Kyrie and James Harden is good, and we saw Kyrie and Kevin Durant, but James Harden and Kevin Durant are just better. It's a better combination. They're two better players. So I think that's kind of an easy way to look at it, and I think the roster overall, there's more versatility and more pieces for Steve Nash to experiment with and more mismatches they can create themselves, which is some of the depth pieces they have, where last year there was just guys on the team, not to say that they weren't good, but they were very limited in what they could do. Nick's already thrown, it's been 10 minutes into this play, he's already thrown slander at Mike James. He always gets I the knew chance. I knew it was Mike James slander. <laughs> in, in saying that, I think we touched on the rotation. But no. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, wish him well in Atlanta. Uh, but in, in saying that, the we sort of touched on the rotation a little bit, but I want to get back to it. Uh, obviously, um, a, a nice piece of the Nets Daily from Alec, uh, Alec Sturm, who, who touched on you know, the, the absence of Kyrie Irving, how it affects the team overall. What do you guys think in terms of, you know, the load, like you alluded to a little bit, Nick, you know, the load management, the, the minutes load. Do you think there is enough depth on this team in that they're still going to be able to, to rest coming around here and there? Do you think that they'll they'll force James Harden to rest more than he ever has, you know, coming off an injury? And obviously, his condi- I think that relates to another storyline in terms of his conditioning and how this Nets team starts the season will be intriguing to watch. Um, I guess all those sort of things are interrelated. How do you think... You know, the rotation, the minutes load does balance out for, for the roster overall. Matt, Nick, who wants to tackle it first? Um, I just hope they do. I hope they rest guys. Um, you know, that they, they, you know, last year was so grueling. And I, I mean, I, they did a good job resting guys, but there were still those games where it's like, why is KD playing 40 minutes? Yep. Even Even the game against the Knicks where it's like, you know, I, I I remember him playing just a, like I think he played like low 40s. That was right after 
they made the trade for James Harden and there were like yeah. eight guys that I'm just like, okay, like we don't have to, we don't have to win this game. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's very cool that they're coming out and making a big statement win just to be like, look, we can, we don't even, we don't even have Harden yet. We're already beating teams <laughs> like this, but um, yeah, I, I hope they do, man. It's, it's, it's a long season and they, they, I really hope they learn the lesson of like, you need your guys good to go for the playoffs. Um, and I, you know, whether that came from them playing their guys so many minutes um, during, you know, these random games, I don't know. I don't have a medical degree. I also, that's, that's what I keep finding myself saying. I don't have a medical degree. I don't have a law degree. So I don't understand a lot of this stuff, but, but I, I had to imagine it could have played at least a small part in it. Yeah. I mean, I think I look at it from Kevin Durant, I think, buys into load management he understands like hey i have to take nights off so i think that's not going to be too hard i think james harden doesn't yeah that's what i was going to say <laughs> i think james harden now is going to have a better argument with steve nash and sean marks in terms of trying to get out of some of those load management nights i think hopefully they're still able to convince him but then you also have to think about the other guys Lamarcus aldridge paul Millsap, blake griffin i think those guys should be fine given that there's enough bigs to kind of work them out where now it's like if harden doesn't play Obviously, that's going to be a big hit on the team in terms of just his playmaking. Obviously, you can rely on Kevin Durant, but other guys that are going to have to step up more. Not to say guys aren't going to have to step up when KD sits out, but it's just kind of a different scenario. So I'm really intrigued to just kind of see what happens overall. And like Matt said, I think it's important to not push these guys too far. Because what was it? The the first one of the first games we saw the big three, they were playing like 50 minutes because it went to overtime. Yeah, it's a yeah. game. Yeah, so that's like the type of thing that I think you just don't want to see. You just don't want to push them when it's not really necessary. If it's a close game against the Lakers, it doesn't really matter until you're in the finals. Yeah, I think it's probably a question we'll come back to in February around the All-Star yeah. break because at that point you expect James Harden to be in, in much better conditioning and you know, I, I, him, like a lot of players, use the NBA season to get a form of shape to get those game reps you know, to, to, to get their lungs under them. You know, I know that I think, I don't know if it was Matt or some other people talking about, you know, how Klax has looked a little bit gassed during some, some matchups. Oh, as that well. was me. That was me. <laughs> I've been coming down hard on Klax. I got to take it easy. <laughs> there we go. Klax City um, has lost a, a member of it in Matt Brooks. But <laughs> in, in saying that, I, I think that's that fine balance is, is what is going to be probably maybe the hardest thing for Steve Nash this season. It is the rotations. It is saying to James Harden, hey, man, we don't need you to play for 42 minutes against Detroit, you know, in, in March. You know, just take a take a chill pill. Yeah, you're probably leading the MVP or in the MVP race. It's a, it's a fine mark because I think that ultimately when we have talked about, you know, the, those big minutes load and whatever and, and Kevin Durant playing every single minute in the postseason, it felt like he was like to KD, KD, you want to keep playing? I think that that's probably likely going to be the same tack. I can't see him changing that unless, you know, the advice from the medical staff. But now that we've seen James Harden actually have an injury and a muscle injury at that, that's something you've got to keep an eye on because any muscle injury that you do have, I, again, I'll probably preface, I'm not a a doctor, blah, 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 blah. But I do know, having played sport and watched a lot of sport, that when muscle injuries do happen, they're likely to reoccur. And if it's not in that muscle, it's in a lower muscle. It's in a different muscle. So, uh, it's going to be interesting how that does pan. I think that's a fascinating wrinkle because, you know, you, Mike D'Antoni never really told James Harden no, and the Houston Rockets organization didn't really either. And it's going to be, you know, holding them back from themselves in, in a certain respect. And I think Kevin Durant, because he signed long term and you've got that stability with him, James Harden still isn't signed yet. So, how are you appeasing him and, and what is the tact and, uh, that they go down there? It's going to be a fascinating thing to, to look at rather than just Kyrie Irving. So, good to know that there are other things happening with this team. Who would have thought? 
Oh, you're going to get aggregated. <laughs> you're going to get aggregated. Jack Manuel saying that James Harden's breaking down. That's that's what's going on here. <laughs> I will say hamstrings definitely linger. Obviously, he mentioned it kind of took him all summer to recover, and he's not getting younger, and he does have a lot of miles from the recovery. That's the Like it. Yeah. You can tell, like, it, he said at media day, Matt would probably allude to this, that he's in the best shape of his career, but every single person says that. <laughs> that's, in, that's producing the best content of his career. That is actually factually correct. <laughs> every player says they're in the best condition, we're going to run a lot, all the, that sort of stuff. You take it with a grain of salt. James Harden, look, he's not what he was when he was in those Milwaukee games coming off the hamstring injury on one leg. Um, and he could still put up 23 and 10 uh, against the Sixers on one leg if he wanted to. But he, uh, uh, by January, this is definitely something we're going to revisit and go, okay, James Harden's good. You know, he's fine. Is he going to lead the league in minutes? He's generally always one of those guys that, that does as well. I think it would be better if he doesn't. It's just like, what's happening in Lakerland? Are they going to hold LeBron? LeBron. 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 <laughs> Himself. Um, so it's it's interesting how these contenders do stand. Maybe they take a leaf out of the Milwaukee Bucks book, but I like I, I always go back to what Nick has said about you know try to blow out the teams and just be awesome for three quarters and do the old school Golden State thing. So then you can rest your players, just play as good as you can because a lot of the time we get frustrated with the Nets and it's just like okay for two quarters they're like it's they're down by two points to Charlotte and then they blow them out by twenty by the time it's you know six minutes into the fourth quarter. So it's like well. Why couldn't you guys have done this in the first 24 minutes? So uh, it's going to be interesting how the season pans out in terms of the individual performances and the minutes and all of that stuff. It's something we could touch on for the entire um, preview, to be honest. Yeah. No, I really, I mean, it's going to be something else to kind of keep an eye on. Another thing that I've been thinking about storyline-wise uh, story is, Matt, I guess for you first, do you think Steve Nash is going to end up playing these young guys? Is he going to allow them to get into the rotation, be it Nick Claxton or Cam Thomas? Um, it's so funny because a couple weeks ago I would have said, yeah, it's going to be really slim for Cam Thomas. I, I don't want to, um, I'm thinking about writing something tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this Tuesday. So this will probably, be, if I do it, we'll see. <laughs> this is a weird, uh, this is a weird hypothetical I'm creating here. But if I do write it, I am thinking about doing something on Cam. And, um, I just, I think there's a role for him. It's not going to be a big role where he's just coming in and replacing Kyrie. Like that's obviously ridiculous. He's not going to, and I I think he'll play like 12, 15 minutes in, you know, important games at most. But I think there's a chance he could play. I kind of want to see him next to um, these lineups where it's, because I'm assuming without Kyrie, you're going to have to split up KD and Harden quite a bit. You cannot throw up lineups with, you know, Paul Millsap and Javon Carter and Bruce Brown and be like, all right, I guess we're going to hope to win these. Like, you just can't do that. So I think the best utilization of somebody like Cam Thomas, play him next to one of the superstars who makes things easier for him, bends a defense so that when the ball swings Cam Thomas's way, he's not really reading help or anything like that. He's just going straight ahead and attacking what's usually going to be one defender in front of him. Maybe it'll be another defender nearby trying to offer help, but For the most part, it's just going to be him doing what he does best, which is go one-on-one. I like that idea. I think that there is a real chance that that is something that is sustainable, no matter how high profile these games get, because he is so good at attacking guys one-on-one. It'll be a big test for Nash. We don't know that about him. We have no idea if he's one of these old-school Doc Rivers-type coaches, for example, where it's like he's just not going to play his young guys because he doesn't trust them. We don't know. We have a small inclination from last year with Claxton. And Bruce Brown a little bit, I guess, at the start of the season too. Yep. Yep. 
So I, I think, and Bruce is like a difficult one. I don't, I just don't think they, I don't think they knew how to use him early yeah. on. So I mean, he's um, a very unique player. <laughs> yeah, and it took them a bit to figure it out. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that'll be really. That's that's number one, and the other one that I have is just like, are they going to play big or not? But yeah, I that might just have to do with who's available. <laughs> so those yeah. are yeah. what I'm much for. Yeah, I think that the fact that the roster is constructed the way it is hopefully bodes well for Clax. I think he, everyone from, you know, whether it's the Kaius Duncan or any member of Clax City is just so damn high on what he can provide. And, you know, again, that piece from um, Jared Dubin talking about, you know, how switchable he is, the numbers back it up and then some, whether it's against, you know, Giannis or, and the amount that he does switch and the comfort that he does have. Um, you know, Nick's got about a million videos on his timeline from last season, whether it's Luka Doncic or Damian Lillard. Um, he is an incredible switch defender and, and one of the best in the league at it, let alone at the big man position. So uh, I, I hope it, it does happen because we're, we're all pretty optimistic um, about what Nicholas Claxton can be and what he could give this team and can be a game changer on the defensive end because they still do lack a bit of defensive talent still. And, and you lose Jeff Green as well. I mean, you're placing with James Johnson, who, you know, provides you a bit of sturdiness, a bit of strength there. Um, but one thing I will say is last night or the night before, whenever it was, uh, uh, they did play against the Sixers. You know, we saw Cam Thomas in that limited sort of role that Matt was alluding to, 12 to 14 minutes, didn't miss a shot. <laughs> Perfect from the field. That's If that's what his role is going to be, then so be it. And I will also ask Matt that he do a video so I can do the article for Nets Republic. Uh, allow it so we don't have the overlapping content. Um, I'm always wanting to produce Paddy Mills or Cam Thomas content this season. But no, in all honesty, that is a fascinating wrinkle. And now I'm just so damn. Uh, it's probably I'm probably the worst person to ask about people like Nicholas Claxton, Cam Thomas, and Paddy Mills because I don't have objectivity as much as I should. So Nick, maybe you should answer your own question. Yeah, I think I love the point that you brought up, Matt, in terms of Cam Thomas and almost simplifying his role, allowing him to kind of attack those closeouts and kind of react to just being the secondary action where it's like, yeah, I get the ball. We saw it last night in the Sixers game where he got subbed in the first quarter. Like, I think it was literally the first offensive possession he had. Yeah, and that was perfect play. You know, hit him with a pump fake, came in, hit the short mid-range shot. Like, this guy can hit shots all over the floor. So just kind of that simple role for him, there's definitely going to be an offensive impact. And like you said, with Kyrie being out, like, Steve Nash might have to use this guy. Like he's a guy that can just literally create offense. So I'm intrigued to see what he can do. And I think also I've been mentioning this a lot. It's just like, how does he do the little things? Because like you guys said, like Claxton wasn't always getting minutes last year. Bruce Brown wasn't always getting minutes, which I think is a different story. But on the Claxton front, it's like you have to be disciplined. You have to do the small things or Nash is probably not going to play you a ton. So I think that's definitely something to consider. And kind of getting to almost Matt's second question, I think playing big has a lot to do with Nick Claxton because I think we'd all agree that he fits best with almost all the bigs. Like a lot of the best two big man combos are Claxton Blake, Claxton Millsap, even maybe Claxton Aldridge or Claxton. And uh, James Johnson, where if Clax isn't playing well, then that limits what you can do because I think, you know, playing Blake and Millsap is probably a little slow. Anybody, you know, Blake and LaMarcus, we already saw that. That's too slow. Millsap and LaMarcus is probably going to be too slow, too. So I think, like, you could pair James Johnson, but he's more of a wing rather than a big. So the way Clax plays is going to probably dictate a lot about the lineup. And obviously, Kyrie being out, I think you'd love to see them probably play big a little bit more often than anticipated. Yeah, the other thing about Clax that I think is interesting is not only like I think they need to play him just to like give themselves a little bit of versatility, just in terms yep. of you know and athleticism. Aligning. Well, because they don't really have a guy behind KD. Like, who's yeah. the guy that's going to guard opposing star wings? It would have been Jeff Green. Yeah. I 
guess you could throw James Johnson, who I think, I think you've got James Johnson for Giannis at the very least. I, I just think that he'll. I I think that's might be just his role, just like literally, yeah. just defend for us in for fifteen minutes a night, and he might get probably the most DNPs of front court participants because. You know, him, his value is is there. That's where he provides the most value because we saw, Mil, I think, Millsap is, you know, obviously probably not the best option in that respect, especially when it comes to big, big men, um, Joel Embiid, and, and uh, uh, proved that last night. So, yeah, I, I think it's int- it, there's a lot of intrigue with the front court, but there's a lot of options, and it's, it's something we haven't really discussed about the Nets team for a very, very long time. And I think that that allows you to play in certain ways. The rebounding is probably not going to be an issue we discuss when we do game recaps and such, which is surprising for the Brooklyn Nets in general. So, yeah, I, I just don't know how it pans out. And I think that there's the, there's so many goddamn options um, that it's just – because you count Bruce Brown as a big. The way that he plays for this Brooklyn Nets team is Biggie Smalls. He is he plays as a five. He His main role is alongside James Harden to screen, to screen for KD. So if you're playing him solo minutes away from Durant and and Harden, I think you're derelict in your duty if you're Steve Nash, as, as, as Matt sort of alluded to, because he just looks so much better there. And he's great off the short roll. He makes the best decisions off the short roll. So, yeah, I think – and can you play Bruce and Plax together? It, it depends on if one of those guys has their three-point shot, you know, falling a, a little bit more than they have in previous seasons. So the the front-court machinations, and by the time, you know, we do a lineups episode probably over, like, the, the All-Star break when we have a decent sample size, it'll yeah. be intriguing to see – and, and hopefully there aren't a lot of injuries along the way to go, okay, these are the combinations that work the best. You know, obviously, as you alluded to, Nick, we have the sample size of Blake and Clax. That was one of the best two-man combinations that the Nets did have. So you've at least got that at your at your hands, but you've got Paul Millsap to throw in there. You've got LMA, you've got James Johnson, a, a lot of moving pieces. Um, it's uh, intriguing to see how it all fits. Yeah, and just keeping the topic on Clax, I think this is what Matt was kind of alluding to too, is like, He's a different piece that they could add. Like, first off, he brings athleticism. I think this team is kind of maybe a little bit slow. Like, there's definitely players who aren't super fast. Like, you're looking at a lot of guys over 30, not a lot of great athletes. Clax is, I think, clearly probably the best athlete on the team. You want to get, I mean, basketball's, you know, uh, obviously experience and basketball IQ matter, but like being quick is definitely a, a good thing in this sport. So I think Joel having, Embiid dusted Blake Griffin yesterday, like, yeah. for, for example. <laughs> I mean, even Paul Millsap got cooked on that pump fake obviously he shouldn't have bit yeah. that on a drill and b3 but he was kind of lost in the mix so i think just adding someone who's actually fast and a good athlete will help and then like you said having another defensive wing because clack's such a unique player like yeah he's got the frame and size of a big it obviously doesn't have the weight but he can defend better probably two through four than he can at five you know what i mean like and even he can defend some ones in certain situations and i've been on this train for a while i don't know if clacks will ever hit this level but i think that he has the potential to just add a completely different element to this team and being kind of a defensive disruptor where I don't mm-hmm. think really anybody else on the team could do that. Obviously, Kevin Durant probably didn't have to score 25 a night for this team could be that guy. But I think Clax is really the only piece where I'm like, yeah, this guy could probably make an all defensive team if we were able to put it all together. I don't think that's going to happen this year, at least of what we've seen so far in preseason. But I'd love to see him kind of develop further on that end and give the Nets a real defensive weapon. Because you also think about his individual status and how that his contractual status okay, being yeah. a, a free agent, and you know it's look. This is me being armchair psychologist, but 
Claxters looked a little frustrated this preseason. Yes. yes. And I don't know how much I take from that not getting minutes and, you know, obviously being rested and, and all these different little things in there. And things can change. In an 82-game season, things can change. You know, by game 20, we could be seeing Claxia 25 minutes a night, you know, being an all-defensive status, as, as Nick is alluding to. But the question marks are there right now as we head into the regular season. We don't have any answers about it because... One, he, he played barely, um, and I, I just, and like Nick alluded to, he's best with the stars in the same way that Bruce Brown is. So that sort of, um, it, it's just hard to sort of figure it out. But I think you have to, because as you guys have both said, he is a game changer. And I think he's a game changer on both ends of the floor, because, you know, the, the vertical spacing, he's not, you know, prime DeAndre Jordan, but he at least, I know Matt's been a big proponent of, you know, having James Harden with the, a lob threat. Clax is the only lob threat. Paul Millsap's not going to get off the ground. Blake's not going to get off the ground unless it's with his opposite hand, apparently. Um, but yeah, in saying that, I just think that Steve Nash has to play. Um, and whether that is through you know resting some of those big guys because they're 34, 4 years old plus, and it gives the opportunity to Clax to go, all right, here's your night, mate. We're going to give you 25, 30 minutes. Show us, prove to us that you deserve to be in the rotation. I hope that happens sooner rather than later because I think it can revolutionize the Nets team in ways that those other guys can't. I think that there is a, a ceiling to those, to, to Millsap, to, to Blake, to LMA, to James Johnson. The ceiling to Clax hasn't been realized yet. Yeah, he's got to keep his spirits up, though. That's the yep. thing I'm, like, kind of watching. It was weird. I was at practice at the park. First off, he looked so tired. Like, <laughs> how I was looking, I think, in that, that first podcast we did, that's how Clax looks. Just circles under his eyes. Like, and I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he just said he'll play video games all night. New York City is tough, man. I've heard a lot of stories about players in New York City, especially young guys, where it's a little bit harder than you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's it, – it, 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 so that's something – it was just funny that he was he was, you know – he was just looked out of it, but I, you can even tell when he was at that event in a way that he just sort of like, he's just kind of doing his own thing in a way he was there. He was participating in the group stuff, but I don't know how much fun he was having. Maybe I'm just reading into this too much. That's probably the case. And, and you know what, I should probably just focus on something else, but I thought it was, I'm really happy that you mentioned that his body language has been a little bit weird in these games. Cause I felt that also, and it was just like his, you know, it's, you don't get the same level of clacks. I, even in, I think the Bucks game, there was a possession that he got scored on going to the rim, um, which you don't usually see from a guard. He usually takes those matchups so personally. Um, and, and even just like on offense, he's just looks less involved than ever as a screener. It's just, you know, it's something that he just doesn't really seem to know or, or want to do. And I, I don't know. I, I I really hope that he keeps his spirits up and is able to, you know, bring that consistent energy every day. And I hope that the Nets create an atmosphere where he feels like he wants to do that because it shouldn't just all be on him. He's, what, 22 yep. um, up for a contract. It's not just on him to be like, I'm going to motivate myself, even if I'm going to play five minutes today. Like they need to create an ecosystem where he feels wanted and can contribute in a pinch because mention it jack you just mentioned it they have a lot of older guys and this and it looks like the front court is loaded right now it does but we are also in preseason, and we are one you know i i won't say hamstring because i think that's a triggering word but some other leg extremity injury away from being like okay now we need to play nicholas claxton oh he's already he's kind of sulking when he's playing in his minutes like there is a balancing act they need to play 
Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. And he had an interesting quote. I can't remember if it was from Media Day or later on, just saying like, when you play in a team like this, you have to make sacrifices offensively, like kind of inferring that he'd like to do more on the court offensively and showcase his skills. But obviously the time isn't right for that. So it's another task for Steve Nash. Obviously that's supposed to be one of his main skills is kind of managing the team and managing personalities and hopefully can do that with Nick Claxton. And for the other guys, you know, I don't think Dayron Sharp is really going to play. He looks super raw. I think Kessler Edwards, maybe we could see on some of those rest nights in the two-way spot. I'm really big fan of Kessler Edwards. I probably have a rational love for him like Jack does for a lot of these other guys. Yeah. But I don't know, just something about him really just screams three and D if he can fix, fix that shot. Yeah, the shot's too weird for me right now. <laughs> it's too, it's too, there's, it's, first off, it's just hectic to watch. Yeah. For me, I'm like, it feels a little slow or something. It looks like it yeah. hurts a little too. <laughs> like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see. Yeah, I said that I noticed some changes a little bit, but it might be improved since college. But obviously, there's a ways to go for him. And Kess Express will certainly be watching. One final thing I wanted to ask about Clax before we get to some other stuff: Is there any chance that he could start for this team by February, March, or the playoffs when it does matter? Because uh, I think that the best version of the Nets probably has Nicholas Claxton started because if you're just looking at talents on paper, Nicholas Claxton is a more talented player and provides you with more of a defensive, probably even offense, maybe not offensive something because Blake is still an incredible, does all the little X's and O's and nuances better. But, you know, maybe you start him, Blake and Claxton, you start Katie at the three. I don't know. But any chance, yes or no, doesn't have to be an extensive answer, I guess. But Matt, do you think that there's a chance that Claxton could get into that starting five or closing five or, or any iteration of important lineups? It, I think it's a slim chance. <laughs> I, I want to say declaratively no, but I always want to leave the door open so I don't get <laughs> so I don't get slandered later. Uh, let me say no. Let me be that guy for one so I don't play both sides. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I think my problem right now with him, and, and I'm assuming what the team is looking at just because of how much this team loves offense, he's – a little bit of a one skill guy right now. Like it's just, it's, it's, you know, the, 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 the vertical gravity is enticing, but you also have to create those advantages. Um, Cause otherwise you're just sort of in the dunker, hoping that Harden can isolate fake a, you know, a step back three and then get into the paint and create something for you. Like he's not really contributing to any opportunities for himself. So in a way, I just don't really know where he's going to fit in yet. So I'm, I'm going to go with a hard no. Yeah, I never really advocated for the starting spot. I think if I really had to say anything, I think there'd be a better chance for him to close certain games, maybe against certain teams in the playoffs or something like that. But again, he'd have to take the necessary steps to get to that point, especially just being that true defensive disruptor. I think starting him never really made sense, unless he's starting at the four, which maybe is a more acceptable idea, but I still wouldn't probably advocate it for it. It's like, if he's starting at the five, he's so undersized and most teams start their bigger center. Do you really want him banging around? It never really made sense to me. So I think if he does kind of get in one of these important roles, I think it'd be a better chance of it being closing. But again, he'd have to make a lot of progress between now and then in terms of not just the offense, but also just the discipline and being really consistent on both sides of the floor. And that's something we really haven't seen from him. Like he's had these flashes and these really good stretches, but we've never really seen him dominate or have those consecutive good months of basketball play where you're like, yeah, this guy needs to be in there all the time. 
Yeah, I think that you know Matt made the point of you know creating the advantages for him, and he does that through screening as a big man, and he's not a good screener. He's a bad screener at this point of his career. That's not something saying that he's going to be for the rest of his career. Um, it pains me to say that, but you know it's and it's not just the Lakers game where he got three or four fouls that is emblematic of that. He was that last year. Um, where if you look at a Bruce Brown, you look at a Blake Griffin, these guys just know how to create advantages for their teammates and, and allow openings for themselves. And that, if that's one thing that he can tighten up and create, then I, I see him getting some meaningful minutes. But um, it is a question mark that'll be on him until that does change. Yeah, and obviously some of that could just be a deficiency of his size. Like, it's harder to set screens when you're not a big guy. Like, he's obviously not very big. He's young. He does bring some physicality, but still not without the muscle and the strength. It's really hard to do those things. But, guys, any other storylines you want to touch on before we move on to some other stuff? No, I think we can move on. All right, let's talk additions real quick. Obviously, we kind of already mentioned the rookies, but we got Cam Thomas, Dayron Sharp, Kessler Edwards, and it looks like David Duke Jr. is probably going to get that other two-way. We obviously aren't confirmed on that at this time, but it seems very likely. Any other thoughts you want to throw out there on the rookies, Matt? No, I want David Duke Jr. to get some time in Long Island. I think that'll be good for him. Um, hone a couple of things. I, I, the defense has been pretty solid. I, I honestly don't feel like I've watched him that well. Kind of, but you know, we barely seen him um, defend. I, I just the the things with decision making. I want him to become a little bit of a less of a black hole when he mm. when he drives in a way. It just sort of feels like if he puts his head down after being run off the line, we know it's going to be a shot at the rim. Now, granted, he's had some really cool finishes. When it doesn't go well, it's pretty wild, and yeah. it's he either travels or he throws up something and it gets swatted like. I, I think that's the stuff I want him to focus on is just focusing more on being a part of a team in a way and, and reading the floor. Yeah, I think he's got a lot of potential to be a, a pretty decent role player, um, maybe not even with the Nets team, but within the NBA because of the skill set that he does possess. As we've sort of seen at Summer League and in, in sparing parts during the preseason, you know, he's got a good, he's a good ball handler, has good form in his shot. Um, but yeah, against NBA level, that's where you know you go to Long Island, you get the confidence, you get the reps, and go, okay, well this is what I can't do. Um, I'll practice the things that I'm bad at, improve them, get some good coaching, one-on-one coaching. You know, the Long Island system has been great for you know Clax even and, and, and other players along the way. So yeah, and and to shout out to a little bit of Dayron Sharp action. If we do see Dayron Sharp, uh, we're going to see a lot of rebounding, and I can't wait for that. And I love the energy that the kid provides. Um, I'm a better singer than him. I'd sing Kevin Rader better happy birthday <laughs> than he does. Uh, but he's, he, I, I just love the energy that he provides. And he's just got a, a cool presence to him. And honestly, you know, some more photo shoots with him and Killer Cam and just get that sort of energy going. Um, I, I love Dayron Sharp, King Sharp for sure. Yeah, I mean, Sharp is fun. And also, just like, he has a real NBA body right off yep. rip. Like, he is a physical presence in the paint. Credit to him for that. Obviously, it's still a lot of his game he needs to develop. Um, I'm not sure how good he's going to be at the NBA level, depending on how different variables go, especially defensively. But besides the point, Cam Thomas, we already mentioned, we could probably talk about him for an hour. He's going to be a lot of fun. He's gonna, There's going to be just like the random game where guys get load manager, the Nets are blowing someone out, and Cam Thomas is just going to have some ridiculous stretches. I'm sure there's going to be some bad stretches mixed in too you know we saw a couple turnovers last night but overall i'm pretty excited with the rookie class especially for a team contending for a championship like it's very rare you see this many rookies and actual rookies that have talent and could play but 
moving on to other additions they had either via signings, via trade. We got Patty Mills. We got Javon Carter. We got James Johnson. We got DeAndre Bembray. We got Paul Millsap. And we have re-signings of Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge. Now, in terms of the additions, other than Patty Mills, what do you think is going to be the biggest addition to this team? I guess just for the newcomers, Matt. Um, the biggest addition to the Nets, boy. Um, I, I, I've been kind of the Paul Millsap truther, so I'm going to stick yeah, to yeah. that. I, expe- I especially feel that way now without Kyrie in the fold. I, I kind of like him maybe more than anybody um, running action at the top of the key, whether it's with those handoffs or the Chicago action that I mentioned earlier, yep. or even just having five out spacing and just having guys kind of cut off each other in the corners. I like that because he's a willing shooter. I yep. think he's a little more willing than Blake. And I just, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I wasn't sure what it was going to look like with the three guys at him. I wasn't sure if he was going to get those, those reps where he does kind of get to see the floor and map things out. Now I'm kind of looking at this. I'm like, Oh, maybe we will see glimpses of him doing things that we saw in that Lakers first preseason game because of opportunity and just straight up, you know, <laughs> they necessity. Guys are gonna, <laughs> yeah. yeah, necessity. Yeah, exactly. So I think I'm going to stick with him. And then defensively, um, so it's been, it's been a little, you know, hit or miss, but I like the, uh, the elements of his help defense. He knows where to be. He shows really early help, um, which is refreshing. And I just, he knows his angles. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's going to be, he's going to be a deterrent. And he's got quick hands. How did I yeah. not bring that up? He's got the quickest hands. I think the Nets have had in, I don't even know how long it's been a while. Maybe it would maybe him and Javon Carter, are like number one and two for what I've seen. He had a really nice swipe in the Sixers preseason game yesterday. It was in like garbage time, but it was just like, how did he get the ball without fouling? Like it was really insane. insane. He ripped Luca a couple in the games I was watching over the summer when I was doing my scouting reports, he like ripped Luca twice in the same possession. I was like, this guy is is pretty impressive, man. That's, that's tough to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll make the argument for Javon Carter, but I will say also the biggest week signing in Brooklyn Nets history is Kevin Durant's extension. <laughs> Something we've discussed plenty already. That's the biggest thing that's ever happened to this franchise. But Javon Carter, I'm, I just he is what he is, and he doesn't really do anything poorly other than you know try to do a little bit too much in this preseason. But I like that he's doing that now because I don't think he's going to be you know driving relentlessly. You know, come the regular season or come the postseason, he's going to be out there hitting open threes at a level. What is it like forty plus percent, Matt, or so forty six percent, or something crazy? Yep, something so, in that ballpark. Yeah, and, and and that's exactly what the Nets need. And obviously, he's going to guard guys ninety four feet and relentless bulldog. All the adjectives that you want there. Um, I, I think he's going to, pr- and obviously with Kyrie Irving's absence, you now there's the opportunity for him to get some minutes there and give the Nets a, a more defensive element to their game. And he's not, you know, an offensive negative. He, he he does things on the offensive side of the floor. He's got a, a tight enough handle. Yes, you know, you don't want him, you know, making all the decisions, but as a secondary or tertiary playmaker, hitting shots from the perimeter. Um, and, and making decisions there, I think he's going to give some value to this team. And, um, you know, again, where there's nights where there's a lot of really great guards in this league, John Morant, Trey Young, Steph Curry, uh, get ready for Javon Carter because I think they're going to have a tough night facing him for however many minutes uh, Steve Nash decides to give him. 
Yeah, I mean, he kind of gives the Nets a three and D guard that he want. They wanted like Tyler Johnson to be last year. Like he can knock down the three a little bit more consistently, and he's actually a good defender where the other guys are kind of more effort based. And obviously, uh, Javon Carter plays with a lot of effort. I think his handle's okay. He tries to dance a little bit too much, I think, and doesn't really go anywhere. You saw a couple possessions yesterday. Yeah. I was just like, okay, like he can't create separation. Like he's he, he holds on to it enough. It's not like. Yeah, I just don't, I don't think you can create separation like KD or you know, James Harden can. Yeah, and he can't really finish at the rim as you expect for a small guard like we mentioned yesterday. So I, I like Javon Carter in the role that he can have, and I think on a team like this, especially playing along the side of James Harden, uh, a guy who's going to take most of the playmaking and allow you to kind of just hit open shots or whatever it might be. I guess, obviously, you guys mentioned Paul Millsap. You mentioned Javon Carter. Also, some love to James Johnson. I mean, I just like having a guy that brings physicality, just like a real tough, like, lack of a better word, just like an asshole to have on the team. Blake yeah. is already kind of that guy, but I think James Johnson's more intimidating. I've been somewhat impressed of, from him as, like, a slasher, like attacking He's the rim a little so bit. Fun. Yeah, He's so I, fun and self-aware. And He's he has so to- self-aware. Pretty good package, too. Like, obviously, I saw some of the highlights that you dropped, Matt, and then, like, watching some stuff throughout the year. It's just like, Okay, maybe James Johnson's a little bit better than I thought he was at this point in his career. Obviously, he hasn't really been able to hang on to a team. He played on, like, what was it, the Pelicans, the Mavs, and the Timberwolves, so not necessarily great teams to be on. I think he'll be utilized a little bit better on this team. And I'm just intrigued to see how much Steve Nash plays him, just given he's more of a wing type and allows him to play some of that small style. I think a lot of it will probably be dictated based off how well does he shoot the three ball? And that's been super sporadic throughout his career. Like if you look at his basketball reference page, you have some years at 27%, then you have some years at 36%. So like mm-hmm. if we get a good three-point shooting year, maybe James Johnson provide a little bit more. But I love Paul Millsap. I love Javon Carter. Honestly, I love all the guys that Nets brought in. I don't think there's anybody that I really dislike. Even DeAndre Brembray, I think, brings something a little bit different. And I was always advocating for him to get the spot over Sekou. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, got a lot yeah, of probably that early on, but... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess it, we probably don't need to discuss, discuss like surprise players and stuff because you know Deondre Bembry was probably going to be my one as well, Nick. I, I think he's sort of like a, a a bigger version of Javon Carter that can't necessarily shoot the three ball, but can cut really well. Has really nice athleticism. He's going to run the court um, in a way where you know you can imagine him getting a lot of outlet and transition passes from James Harden just because he's just working both ways like a, an absolute menace and just using his you know his tank in a way that, you know, not many players on this team can because, like we've alluded to, age and all those other factors. So, you know, he, when he's out there, you know, he's going to give you something in a way that's like, you know, a big version of Javon Carter and Bruce Brown and, or a bigger at the, at the very least. He's still, you know, guardish type. But, you know, I think he can probably play a little bit more on the wings um, than, than Javon Carter and Bruce Brown can. So I think you've got a, another option there. Um, and just to have it um, is, a, is a really savvy signing uh, from Sean Marks. Yeah, just getting guys that can play NBA playoff minutes. But, guys, moving on from there, guys, talking quickly on the re-sign guys. Like I mentioned, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge. What was the biggest re-signing? Like, which guy do you think they needed to bring back that would be the most crucial? Like, if they lost this guy, it would drastically have hurt them this upcoming season? Probably Blake, um, just because I think he is such an integral part of what they like to do with that lineup. Like, they just... From from their perspective, they seem to really, really um, just like what he brings to the table. The short roll reads, I think, and I, I think Lucas Kaplan made this point on uh, one of the podcasts you guys did together. 
uh, just him being a guy that can draw charges mm. is like so huge for that Giannis matchup. I had not thought about that. And I was like, that is a really interesting way to frame that. He is kind of perfect in that way. Yeah. Um, a lot of like people the, don't want to do that either. <laughs> no, no, nobody. But it's also like, that's the one thing you can kind of do against Giannis yep. is just be like, you know, the guy that is maybe one of the best in the league at getting in front of guys and just sort of stopping in that, them in their tracks simply by the rules pretty genius like that's actually and i don't i'm i doubt it was intended i mean maybe it was maybe the nets their big stats team somebody was like hey we should get this guy that's good at taking charges um just for Giannis. i don't know but um it is kind of this genius thing they've walked into so yeah i think he's really crucial i, I also want to save lamarcus for another thing we're talking about so I guess I'll go uh, and, and Blake Griffin. I think he's been like fourth in charges in the last two or three seasons or whatever, and that's saying something. I think like Kyle Lowry's number one, but you know, for a big man, um, I, I agree it's Blake. But subjectively, just because of you know, I love him. Uh, it's Bruce Brown, just for all the reasons that we've already discussed. So, um, objectively, yes, it is Blake Griffin if you're looking at it from a rational standpoint. But subjectively, because uh, I'm in love with Bruce and and the BB, uh, I'm glad that he's back as well and, and re-signed with the team. Yeah, and Blake feels like he's uh, kind of like a part of the organization. I've seen, heard Sean yeah. Marks kind of mention him a couple times. He's been like today. He said like Kevin, James, Joe, and Blake, and I was like, okay. And then they had that nice little interaction. I think on media day, and I was like, okay, maybe there's a little bit of a relationship here between Sean Marks. Blake isn't a stupid guy, so credit to him for that. And like you said, Jack Bruce is kind of just a really cool guy to have on the team, and nice to see him develop and fill in so many different roles. Like, he's a player that you can just, like, pop in and be like, yeah, we're going to need you to set, like, 10 screens at the guard spot tonight. We're going to have you play a little bit of center. We're going to need you to get 15 rebounds. Do whatever, Bruce. Like, do your thing. But moving on from re-sign, guys, let's hit departures real quick. Obviously, Jeff Green was the biggest loss, but out of the other guys, Tyler Johnson, Mike James, DeAndre Jordan, Landry Shamit, Reggie Perry, Alze Johnson, TLC, anybody else you think that they're going to miss? (laughs) <laughs> no disrespect to those guys, but I, I, not really, you know, like, I guess you could say uh, Landry Shaman, I guess, but Patty Mills is just a better, you know, uh, movement shooter. He's just a better, he's just better at that. And um, I trust him a lot more. And he's also, I think, probably a little bit better of a a, a connector, right? You know, he's yep. going to make that extra pass um, and, and make it well. So I, t- Jeff Green's the only one I can really come up with and it's mostly because they just they don't have a ton of wing depth behind KD you know we brought up James Johnson a couple of times who is super fun to watch but he's pretty lineup dependent you know it's like you cannot play him in lineups next to Bembry I think there's a possession against the Bucks where James Johnson got the ball in the corner he passed it up passed it to Bembry who also passed up a shot and drove just into the paint like a crazy person. They got free throws out of it, but it was just, I, I took that down. I actually grabbed the clip. I was like, I'm going to remember this because I think that is pretty important. Um, and uh, and and so that's a guy that I think is lineup dependent. So Especially Jeff for Green a team that plays with so much space. You know what I yes. mean? Like the Nets yes. love to play with space and having these guys. I think there was even a crazy lineup during the Lakers game where Bruce Brown, James Johnson, and DeAndre Bembray were out there. Or maybe it was somebody else. And I was like, or maybe it was Bruce Brown, uh, Bembray, and Claxton or something. And I was like, damn, there is really no shooting out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack, what about you for departures? Anybody that? I guess I'll quote uh, New York Daily News' Christian Winfield. The Nets should have signed Spencer Dimity. I don't know. No. Um, <laughs> I, I think Jeff is the, the obvious answer um, because of just how important he was 
best vet minimum signing in maybe vet minimum history. Um, hit the, hits the three ball, did enough defensively. But I think James Johnson might be an upgrade on the defensive side. But as we've sort of alluded to when we you know touch on the team's strengths or whatever, this Nets team wants to be an otherworldly offensive team and will just do enough defensively. So maybe um, you get a, you you lose some a lot with Jeff in terms of the offensive side of the ball, the ability to play small ball in a really effective sort of way. Um, I, I think as an athlete uh, as well, you're losing him uh, is a bit of a loss because um, the old uncle Jeff Dunks will, will certainly be a miss. And I think there's a locker room presence, but that can also be supplanted by a guy like, you know, Patty Mills and, and James Johnson, these sort of guys and the mentorship and chemistry that they're providing. But Jeff will certainly be a miss, no doubt. Yeah, I think his, his rim attacking, obviously, just like being able to throw down dunks like that will be missed from a fan perspective and obviously basketball perspective. Like I said, if Spencer was able to stay, that would have been ideal. Don't think he was really interested in that. But like Matt kind of alluded to, every guy they lost, they essentially upgraded in that area. So credit to Sean Marks, given his lack of assets and still was able to do that. So that's pretty incredible. Getting on to the starters, who are the starters now for opening night? And now we don't have to drop two lineups because we know one guy is probably not going to be playing opening night. So giving me your starting five against the Bucks, who's it going to be? Best part about this whole Kyrie thing is that it's so easy now. I don't, yeah. there aren't two guys. I'm, you know, I've flip-flopped between, uh, you know, Bruce and, and Joe Harris. And this is great. I, now I could put them both in there. So it's Harden, uh, Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, KD, and Blake Griffin. Yep, and that lineup, I, I looked it up last night or whenever I was doing my prep. 34 minutes, an incredibly small sample size. Um, had an 133.3 offensive rating, but 129.4 defensive rating. So take with that what you will. Don't think it's very reflective at all. Yeah, I think that's probably the likely scenario. The only thing I could possibly see changing is maybe if LaMarcus were to start in certain situations, like a matchup with Philadelphia, I think that just makes a lot of sense. Blake obviously doesn't have the body for Joel Embiid, so LMA provides something a little different with his size. But moving on from starters, uh, just any quick rotation thoughts. I think we'd all agree that Patty Mills is going to be the sixth man. We kind of touched on some of the rotation stuff before, but who do you think are gonna is going to be like the – I guess the two bigs that the three bigs that play every night. We got Blake as one. Who's going to be the other two? I probably Millsap and I guess Lamarcus. Right. I I think I think that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. And and until one of those guys, you know, God forbid, goes down with an injury or or just something, a situation changes. Maybe he's not playing well. Um, I I don't. I think Nick Claxton's on the outside looking in. Yeah, and I think you've sort of said, um, and we've sort of discussed it as well, Matt, that you could play Clax at the four a little bit, and you could use him as a wing on the defensive side of the ball, so it allows you to to do that. So um, I, one little quick thing I wanted to ask, who can't play together on this team? What sort of combinations in the sort of front court? I think we sort of discussed the big men um, and the sort of spacing issues. Is it things that, uh, where it's just like you, you have to have at least three spaces on the floor? Is it the, the lack of defensive versatility that needs to be prioritized? I know Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown have an, a plus 18.9 net rating last season, so I, I was really surprised by that. So the starting lineup fills me with a bit of confidence there. Are there names that sort of spring to mind? I mean, LaMarcus and Blake, I don't want to see. I, I think at this point in time, I probably don't want to see Paul Millsap and LaMarcus. I mean, it's possible. I'm not sure. I, I It really depends how I see like Paul Millsap moving. Like, I just don't want the Nets to be too slow. And having two slow yeah. big men can just make it 
incredibly difficult to defend, especially when you're playing in a switching style defense, of which they might not play every single possession or every single game given this team and some of the different dynamics here. But I just I just don't want any big man combos that are super slow. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Also, like uh, they're switching Lamarcus a little bit. They were doing yeah. that in the which in the Bucks game, which was weird. I don't I don't and know. And then there was a lot of drop against thing. Philly too. Very interesting. I, I'm so that's that's another thing. That's a storyline thing I guess you could bring up is like what the, what are they running up there defensively? Are they running anything on defense? No. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's probably it for the combos. I mean, like you said, Jack, too, is I think you don't want too many non-shooters on the floor because then it just makes it easier to double James Harden or double Kevin Durant given some of these guys just really don't have much of a three-point shot. But, guys, talking about the roster, obviously we know Kevin Durant, we know James Harden's going to have a big season. Who's going to be like that surprise player that kind of pops off this year that maybe we didn't anticipate? Surprise player is a good one. LaMarcus? Might be my number one pick. I I think the I don't think people are going to realize how much they need his spacing. You mm. just have a lot of guys that can't shoot or can maybe shoot, but also I could see getting in cold stretches. Javon Carter is somebody that comes to mind with that. So it's like if you're having you know DeAndre Bembry or or James Johnson or Bruce Brown or Javon Carter or whoever, and these guys that are like or Nick Claxton, I think his spacing is going to be really really important. I just Sort of for this sounds ridiculous, but I sort of forgot how pure of a shooter he is. I mean, obviously he's like this great face-up big, but just watching it, you're like, man, I, I, there's a play where he got this offensive rebound and just hits this sweet little turnaround, 15 footer yep. falling away, and it was just so smooth and just like, okay, Lamarcus, like that, that was nice to see. I, I so I think like he's my pick, and then James Johnson, just mostly from the perspective of. <laughs> I think people are going to think he sucks because I got to be honest when I, when they first signed him, I was pretty low on it and I watched him and he's got this insane skill where he can't shoot and he's very aware of it and guys run him off the line and you see him driving into a crowd and you're just sort of like putting your hands on your head, like, Oh my God, this is going to be a blunder. And then he finds this like sweet pass. I don't even know how he sees it out of the corner of his eye to a guy that's like slightly relocating in the opposite wing. He's just, He's got really good vision and just fun. Like he's just gonna be yeah. enjoyable. What do you think, Jack? Uh, I'll stick to the brand. Two names: Cam Thomas, Patty Mills. Big surprise nice. here. I'm I'm shook right now. I didn't anticipate that today, Jack. <laughs> no, I'm honestly. I think the thing about Lamarcus, I just want to touch on him quickly, is like. You forget how skilled he is at basketball. He's just like a hooper, you know, as they would say on Twitter. He's just a yep. hooper. He's a guy that can just score a basket. And he's got like a little bit of a quick trigger in a good way. You know what I mean? He's yep. a really willing shooter from like almost anywhere on the court. So I'm kind of interested to see LaMarcus and in what he can develop with James Harden. Is there any type of like pick and roll game or any duo game? Because yeah, LaMarcus isn't going to catch the oops, but he does have like the touch to be that in-between level, which I think is just kind of an interesting element. A general trend, I think, honestly, surprises for me would just be a general trend. I think this team is going to be a top sixish team in deflections. They just seem to get their hands on everything. I've never watched a Nets team like this. Their perimeter defense is going to be really, really good. I just, they have too many guys that contribute in that way. And especially if you're missing somebody like Kyrie Irving, who is a good defender, He's not at the level of a DeAndre Bembry or Javon Carter or Bruce Brown. Like, there's just so many guys. They have this platoon of dudes that just makes your life suck, and they pick you up 94 feet. I think that's going to be a real interesting story that people aren't expecting. 
I think it's just kind of like another added element to the team. It's like, yeah, we got to worry about Katie and uh, James Harden and all these offensive weapons. And then, like, yeah, we got these guys that are really just going to annoy the shit out of you the entire they game. Top 10 defense. They really could. I don't think yeah. it's out of, out of the, you know, it's it, maybe that's a little optimistic. But I, I think top 10, top 9, you know? Yep. And then they just got a lot of smart players. But I guess let's end it real quick, fellas. Give me your prediction for the win total and for the outcome of the overall season. I'll go 57 and 35 and they win the Larry OB. Ooh, uh, I'm going to also, I'm going to say just a shade, you know, let's say they win 60. I think they're going to win 60. I think this is uh, part of that may hedge on the fact that Kyrie Irving does return at some point, but I think they win 60. I think there's, there's going to be this big come together moment and they're able to really be resilient in the face of all this. They have a lot of depth, which matters a lot in the regular season. And I also have them as my title favorites. Yep. Um, you know, it's funny. I cannot usually let someone like be more optimistic than me. And I didn't have 60. So I'm just going to have to do 61 here. After I got the Kyrie <laughs> news, I had 58. But like, if you're feeling optimistic, Matt, then I know that I probably should be feeling a little bit better. And I have them the favorite to win it all. If they stay healthy, I think that's the most important thing with or without Kyrie. I still think I like them to be every team. I just yep. think. James Harden, Kevin Durant, and what they can do. Uh, obviously, we saw what Katie almost did by himself last year. Um, there's no reason really for them not to win it all. I think overall, Matt, I guess who would you say is their biggest competition, the Lakers or the Bucks, Or do you think it's another team? I mean, I'm just not a Lakers believer, which yep. I, I don't know if that's I, – I guess I need to see them play. A, they're like just falling apart in preseason. Yeah. Everybody's getting injured. Which a lot of one-way always... players too. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand what rotations you construct. It's like in, you know, there's a weird amount of importance on Malik Monk now, who it's like, there's a guy that I don't know what you're going to get, though I do like him. Um, but yeah, I, they're kind of, they're just really discombobulated. And then you, that doesn't even bring up the factor of like, they have three stars that aren't like the perfect fit on paper. I don't think I it don't feels think. like the Nets got more hate for their three stars, which always kind of made sense because all the guys could shoot. And then the Lakers, like some people were just like, oh, it's going to work. The Nets worked like Westbrook's going to work. It's like, nah, Westbrook hasn't been able to shoot in a really long time. Yeah. And it's like, OK, so is LeBron playing off ball? Like, that's not what you want. I mean, not because he can't play off ball, but it's like, why would you want LeBron ever off the ball? He's yep. so good with it in his hands. And then it turns into, well, well, maybe we can use. Russell Westbrook is a screener and it's like, okay, so now he's souped up Bruce Brown. So yeah. you traded all these assets for that. That seems like a weird thing. To and do. then you're not putting AD as the roller. And obviously <laughs> it's, just, it's just a weird team. I don't know. I'm just not a believer. I don't, I don't get it. I, I, I think it's like, you know, the lowest hanging fruit is to be like, well, they have all these guys and they're going to be good. But it's like, if you really think about how it's going to work from a basketball perspective, unless you're just splitting these guys minutes up, I, and which you're gonna, you're obviously going to do, but in the moments where they're sharing the floor, I don't understand how it's going to work. I mean, maybe they just win in the margins of winning the minutes when LeBron is off, which yep. I feel like teams are never able to do. But just feels weird. I I like the Bucks. Yeah. I, I you know I mean you can't you can't get any worse play from Drew. Yeah. To start. Yeah. Um, and they're going to have a little bit of moxie. And also, if you're like the Bucks and you're seeing, well, Kyrie Irving's not on this team right now, like, you know, obviously you believe in yourselves and you're going to say we're going to repeat, but now you really have that extra yeah. gusto, I think, in a way. And and they won't play, you know, ideally they won't play scared. You know, they won't be playing 
with no structure or idea how to win these games. You know, I think there's a pretty decent chance they've learned something from that last run that they went through. Yeah, I think they'll have some different confidence, like you said, just winning the championship, getting that kind of pressure off your back. And I think they started to kind of unlock some different things. It might have took Coach Bud like years to do it, but finally he's adapting a little bit, playing some different lineups and different things. And I think overall, just like the Nets were cooking them before Kyrie went down and before right. Harden was, you know what I mean? But then they still were able to win the series and they definitely like grinded things out at the end. And that's what they would do ideally in a series like the, against the Nets this year. So I agree. I think the Bucks are tougher competition, especially just because they have the experience. We know the pieces fit. They won a championship where the Lakers yep. are so many question marks. And then also just like the Lakers were this amazing defense. And now they have all these players that aren't good defenders. Like you have Russell Westbrook, you have you know, Malik Monk, you have Carmelo Anthony, you have, you know, Kendrick Nunn. Like there's so many guys. I mean, like you're asking Trevor Reza to probably defend, you know, maybe Kevin Durant if it's not LeBron James. So like, it's, and he's hurt now too. So like, I'm not really sure what's up with the Lakers. Yeah. Kent Bazemore is like one of their better defenders who like, he's fine. He's passable. You know who I kind of like is Golden State. Yeah. Um, uh, they've looked good. Otto Porter, look, it's early, but he's looked pretty solid. I did Jordan Poole thing, like, man, because my big thing with them was, like, I just don't know if they have, you know, a escape, you know, I guess escape valve. Is that the word? I wonder yeah, what yeah. For. yeah, like they Yeah, yeah. Just somebody really who can create that. something out of nothing. Like, Jordan Poole can do that. Yeah, just take the pressure off Steph, because otherwise yeah. it's just going to look like that Memphis play-in game where he's just getting blitzed for 48 minutes. Um, and they also have young pieces to make a trade if they really wanted to do that. If there was somebody that came available at the deadline and they are playing well, but they know they don't quite have enough, there's a world where they could make that trade. And, and I think they, they could definitely firmly be in that top tier. So I'm watching them. I, I think they're another team that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, obviously the health of Clay, how he looks coming off those two major injuries. But like you said, I think they'll be aggressive too. They have no reason not to. Steph's not yeah. getting any younger. They need to kind of capitalize on this window here. And why not trade off some first-round picks and maybe add another star into the mix? Maybe Carl Anthony Towns is really upset, and that's a guy they go try to add or something along those lines. So it's going to be interesting. I think, like you said, I like the Nets' favorites, even probably without Kyrie. If they do have Kyrie, I think it could be overwhelming. A- yeah, it could be a historical like postseason run where they're just really yep. dominating teams. Yet to be seen. We don't really know much about that at this point in time. We hope that he plays, but based off the news, it doesn't seem that. But Matt, anything else you want to touch on in the season preview before we get out of here? Uh, we got a couple. We got two other things. Do you think a quick one right here? Do you think yep. they're going to win any awards? Any awards on this team? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, obviously, Jack had to leave a little early. If I don't mention Patty Mills as six man of the year, I probably yes. <laughs> would get in trouble. Um, yep. I'm not sure how likely that is. I think there's other guys that will probably produce a little bit more than Patty. I think he'll be a crucial part of the team. I guess if I had like a gun to my head, I would say like James Harden has a pretty good chance at MVP this year, just given the whole Kyrie news. And if I was betting and I didn't live in New York, I'd probably just throw some money on it because I think it was like plus 2,500. And it just seems like, damn, like guys missed time last year and Harden played at like a different level. Like I could see him being really motivated again this year. What about you, Matt? Uh, that's the one I would do. This is going to sound like slander. I don't want it to be, but he's more essential right now than Kevin Durant, just because yep. they don't have anybody that can run the, you know, kind of run the offense in a lot of ways. They don't have somebody that's sitting there in the wings and Kyrie that can do a pretty, you know, nice yep. simile of what he does. Um, so I think that's the obvious one. I, I, do we, is Cam Thomas a rookie of the year candidate? 
Probably not. I don't think he'll play enough, but it'd be fun if he was. I think he could put up. I wouldn't numbers. rule it completely out, but he'd have he has to win some other battles first before he can get in that conversation. Like he could come off the bench and maybe average ten, but is he going to even get enough minutes to do that type of thing? Yeah. I think he's a talented enough player to quote unquote win Rookie of the Year, but like, does the situation line up for him? And then I'll just, just say this: it's such an empty calories award. You know what I yep. mean? Like it doesn't really re- award guys that are like the most in- best impact players. Yep. It's usually just like look at the counting stats and look at what he's doing, flashy, like in terms of his flashiness. One hundred percent. It's just like what did you produce? How much production? You scored twenty. Your team won ten games. That's awesome. Like here's the award. So, uh, other than that, I mean. Probably not. I mean, I would think, you know, Kevin Durant, James Harden both get all-star appearances. Everything else after that is kind of not really realistic. Maybe Kevin Durant finals MVP. That's probably the only other thing I would throw out there because I think in the postseason, that's where KD becomes probably more crucial just given how the game changes. I could also see, so let's say, because I already said they're going to win 60 games, which I'm like, oh boy, I'm on record (laughs) saying that. Uh, If they did that, let's say they were able to come out of this, because again, I just think they have a really good roster and talented players and two of the top five, six best players in the world right now. I could see some narrative votes for Nash with Coach of the Year, believe it or not. If he's able to navigate this and they're able to pull this off and, because you know, that's another one. It's a a narrative award. It's It's a thing where we're awarding, you know, resilience and and connectivity is, as Steve Nash likes to say, if they're able to do that and they're able to win like a ton of games and come out as a number one seed, it's very hard for me to not see people swaying themselves with, well, they could have fallen apart. This could have cannibalized the locker room, but they were able to get out of there. And it was the knight in shining armor, Steve Nash. You know what I mean? Like I could see that being a thing. I could see that being a narrative. And he's also one of the guys in the Nets that's actually liked by the media. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of the other guys don't necessarily get that long. he could do that too. Like I don't want to make it seem like I don't believe that he can't do that. I think guys like him enough and like yep. playing for him enough where he is kind of the perfect guy for this situation where you have this Kyrie thing hanging over everybody. He's a guy. He's just a chill dude. Man. Yeah. He's, he's going to figure that out. Um, but yeah, so I, I think the awards and then any weaknesses you see for these guys? I mean, I think we kind of hit on some of it earlier, you know, age, yep. durability, athleticism. There's obviously some players that are limited and that can kind of limit what you can do in certain lineups if guys go down. Um, it's hard to really point to a ton of weaknesses just given there's so much talent on this team. But I think really for me, just like the durability, the age, the athleticism and just like it being a new team, pieces do have to fit together and they're going to be missing a crucial piece in Kyrie Irving. And that's going to provide some different level of distraction. Like you mentioned, maybe Steve Nash will be able to kind of clean that all up and get things moving. But, and I would say in certain situations, you still have a question defensively against some of these elite bigs, you know, like we saw preseason Joel Embiid, obviously it's preseason, but no one matches up well against Joel Embiid, but the Nets don't really even have any okay matchups. Mm-hmm. Blake did a really good job against Giannis, but I think there's still a couple players like who defends Anthony Davis in a playoff series, like that type of stuff where you're like, okay, maybe as a defensive hold, they'll still have some good moments and we saw them turn up in the postseason, but there's still going to be matchups where like you're probably going to be a little bit nervous and that's going to be something the other team can easily exploit. Luckily for the Nets, they can exploit a lot of things for other teams. Yeah, I mean, I think with that, like, they don't have the, I mean, they obviously are, I, I think there's a good chance they're a top three offensive team, maybe top two even yep. this year. But they also don't have that, like, offense where it really doesn't matter what the opponent does. They're yep. just probably going to win by outscoring you. Like, so those those things with an Embiid or, or Giannis or whatever, if you don't have a even okay answer for those guys, 
that actually could be something where you're in these shootouts to a degree yeah. and you're in you're in the trenches a little bit more than you were last year just because you don't have three guys just going nuts on the other end. I would also say like weaknesses too is maybe the fact that they are a little bit bigger and I'm wondering how that impacts lineups. Mm. And then if lineups are impacted, does spacing ever become an issue? I mean, maybe I'm just nitpicking and worrying about things that aren't there, but it will be a lot of tinkering and figuring out who fits together. Now they have 82 games to do that. So, and that's the best part about this year for them is that they aren't having, it's not like every two weeks where you're like, Oh, cool. Andre Robertson's on the team. Oh, okay, no, he's not anymore. Like, Oh, I guess Reggie Perry is the backup center. Oh, he's not anymore. Um, It's not like that this year. They have time to figure it out, but it is something they have to answer. Yeah, for sure. And I think just kind of even maybe you can make an argument the balance of the roster. There's not really a ton at the wing position. Like a lot of the mm-hmm. guys that are going to play on the wings are going to be undersized. Like you're going to ask Joe Harris, Bruce Brown to play small forward a little bit. And they don't necessarily have the bodies to deal with some of these longer wings in the NBA. So just like small things like that. Like overall, I think I feel really good about the team as I think yeah. any Nets fan does but I guess quickly Matt what's the biggest strengths in your mind obviously there's a lot of strengths to this team but what's like the ones where this is like this is kind of almost like I don't want to say historic because I don't want to be so like hyperbolic and hot takey but like there's some really really good qualities about this team well end game offense is obviously one yeah. of them um that's something that I, I even you lose isn't that crazy to say you lose Kyrie and you still feel perfectly fine about that I'm going to go back to my thing about these guys being so handsy. I just, mm. I, I don't know. I think that's a real strength. Perimeter defense in a way has become so underrated. And I, I, I found myself kind of worrying like, oh, well, what if the bigs are like, let's say LaMarcus doesn't look as, you know, doesn't pop as much defensively as he did last year. But then I think about how many guys that they have that are now chasing around screens, Javon yep. Carter, just I don't know. That's a really cool element that they can bust out on the defensive side of the floor. And it makes them pretty interchangeable if they wanted to run, you know, something like a zone where they're parking LaMarcus in the middle and just letting the guys up top do all the dirty work. I, you know, they've been throwing out these Bruce Brown, Javon Carter lineups that I think are super fun in that way, where it's like, just looks like a nightmare to get into the paint and get in, you know, I guess get two feet in there. So, um, that's I I can't believe I'm saying it. <laughs> Perimeter defense might be might be my number one right now. I think it just like the the sense of like the defense is now. I mean the offense is now going to feel the Nets defense. Where last year it was really yeah. like cones. <laughs> like there was points where it was just like, oh yeah, you guys want a bucket? We're not going to really switch well. We're just going to kind of give you these shots. And like you said, I think even just like. Sometimes offensively, like when you have to feel the defender, like you even see this, like the only type of guys that really bother Kevin Durant or make him think are ones that are able to kind of get their hands on the ball a little bit, especially on his, you know, rip moves or whatever it is. Yeah. We're like now the nets are doing that to other teams. And it's just like I said before, just like another added element that really just makes them more annoying to deal with. Like you have to worry about the offense and all these other great players. And now, yeah, we might get a couple steals and that's going to turn into easy transition points. That's another thing I'm a little intrigued by. Uh, obviously it's an older team, but can they get more transition opportunities given mm. some of these outlet passers? And then also if they have more steals. That's probably, that's a perfect lead. And I was going to say you have James Harden also yeah. in the transition offense, which is like perfect. And um, yeah, I, I they're going to be, they'll be different this year. It's going to definitely be a different team where, I think depending upon the lineups that they're running, also I, they're going to play multiple styles. Yep. It's not all just going to be, you know, I've said this a couple of times already, but pick and roll where you have 
okay, it's going to be Joe Harris screening and popping out or Tyler Johnson. It's they'll obviously mismatch hunt the way they did last year, but they'll also mix in stretches where I think they're going to put in a more defensive lineup and that's going to lead to transition. And it'll just be a little bit more diversified in a way. And I think that's ideal. I think I look back to like the Raptors team that won a championship. One of the reasons they were so good is Nick Nurse had so many different tools on that team and they could play so many different styles and just kind of match up with whoever they wanted to or force you into a mismatch situation where, yeah, we're handling you, but now you're not going to be able to handle us type of thing. And I think just another strength of this team is just obviously when you have this many veterans, former all-stars, it's going to be experience in basketball IQ. I think this is a really smart team. There's just certain players who are like, Wow, like that's definitely something we wouldn't have seen the 1819 Nets do. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I think those are the two strengths. And then maybe just in general, I, 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 I really like um, just the, the, the presence on the boards. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not going to say. say they're good. I'm not going to say they're good because I, I don't think they'll be like a top six ish team, but just even being passable is such a huge improvement from last yeah. year. Like just having guys that try, I mean, Paul Millsap, not an elite rebounder by any stretch, but he's a guy you even saw it in the Sixers game. He had yep. a play where he jumped like three times and was getting in the mix for boards. All I could That's think nice. about in that play is like, I didn't see DeAndre Jordan do that once the entire time he was on the net. And Paul I mean, Millsap Jeff Green part- didn't either. Like yeah. Jeff Green really didn't either. Jeff Green was usually spaced at the top of the key and would just sort of hustle back on defense yep. or whatever. But um, it's that's that's kind of it's not gonna be a strength, but relative to last year, it's it's kind of a strength. Yeah, I mean, last year if they could rebound at an average rate, they probably beat the Bucks, right? Yeah. Like in Game Seven alone, I think they had three or four offensive rebounds that were essentially game changers. So just like having these guys, and I just like think Lamarcus being just an actual center, like a real center body yeah. should provide them something given that Deandre was supposed to be that guy. Obviously he wasn't able to play last year, just given a whole bunch of reasons. I don't really understand, but just having that actual option to go to a real big player is going to be a skill for, uh, going to be a great option for Steve Nash. Yeah. I mean, not only he can post up guys and back guys down, like actually back guys down, put them like yeah. underneath the basket, but he's also an option to diversify your defensive coverages. Yep. So I mentioned zone, but even just having a guy that can play drop is actually super useful that yeah. the Nets tried to do that against the Bucks and Blake Griffin, who looked good at guarding, I guess, uh, Giannis on the post and, and kind of dealing with the, the bumps and blows that come with that guarding him in drop was not so effective when yeah. they re- went to the Chris Middleton, um, Blake Griffin, usually like side pick and roll. He's just not impactful. He doesn't have any verticality. He's undersized as a center. So that's a lot different. If you put LaMarcus in there, I just, again, he's my surprise player. I'm going to keep coming back to him. And it's, it's a lot of it's just because he's different from pretty much anybody on the roster. Yeah, and I mean, he's not like this elite shot blocker or anything, but he can block shots and he can be just a big body that gets in the way. Like sometimes just being big in a game of basketball is yeah. a great advantage. And that's just something the Nets didn't have. And obviously we saw him very limited time with the Nets last year. But even that game against the Pelicans, you know, a couple of really nice stands against Zion in the paint. And mm-hmm. not a lot of guys can do that because they just don't really have the size. So we could probably list strengths for this team for a long time, just given the amount yeah. of talent and depth they do have. But I guess, Matt, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? 
No, I think we got it. I think we, we handled it. I wish Jack could be joining us, but you know what? He's there in spirit. We mentioned Patty Mills and Cam Thomas, so we did we did uh, good work there. Yep. Carried the torch for him. Um, <laughs> so I think I think we did a good job here. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, uh, Jack's not going to yell at us, so that's always a good thing. But Matt, <laughs> always appreciate you know talking hoops with you. Jump into the net season, and as we mentioned at the start, you can find the Brooklyn Buzz and the Clear Out on all streaming platforms. Shout out Blue Wire Pods. 